0: It's a blessing to be here today. No place I'd rather be. I tell you, wherever God is, that's where I want to be. You can figure it out for yourself, but wherever God is, that's where I want to be now. He's coming soon. There's not much time left. And there's just... We can't play any more church games. We gotta get real about running after God, knowing Him, and finding out what does He have us on this earth for? It's that simple. You know, I'm coming back from my trip last weekend to Florida, and you all know I've been stuck on this thing for weeks and weeks now about seeing God's glory. I'm not interested in man's glory. It really doesn't impress me anymore. I've seen the Taj Mahal. I've seen the glories of the world. It doesn't impress me. But I went down to Florida really sincerely praying, God, show up, show your glory. And he did. Not because I prayed that, because he's a God of glory. And whenever God does anything, he leaves a trail of glory behind him. How many of you know the Bible says, and I'm quoting God Himself, the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord? You all know that's in the Bible? Okay. Well, I got a fresh perspective on that one this past week. <laughs> the little church we went to be with, it's, they were celebrating their second year anniversary. And the pastor of the church, I've known since he was a five-year-old little guy, and I was his parents' pastor in Puerto Rico too many years ago to even count. And they've all moved to Florida now, and Pastor Tom and I actually stayed with the parents while we were there. And this young man, remember young is relative now, uh, he's uh, married, has teenage kids and, and all that, but he felt the call of God to start this church two years ago. And it's coming along nicely, but like our little group here, sometimes they struggle financially. And they have a $2,000 a month rent they've got to come up with, with just a little group like ours. And so knowing that these pastors were coming, there was another pastor from Puerto Rico that came, and, and expenses, you know, for food and all the rest. They found themselves two days before the opening meeting with nothing. Right? That happens. That happens. And you know why it happens? Because God is getting ready to manifest His glory. And they're praying, Lord, Lord, we've been planning these meetings for a month and we're broke. Well, this pastor... He also has a side job that he does, remodeling houses. And he often gets called by bankers and investors or whoever saying, We got a house that's been foreclosed. Want you to go there and just take all the junk out and get it ready so we can start remodeling it. So two days before the opening meeting of these special services, He gets a call, go to such and such a place, rent one of these 30-yard metal dumpsters. This house is full of junk. Clean out all the junk. Okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a house that was foreclosed and seen the kind of junk that's inside. Darius, you've probably seen it, right? Broken everything. Toilets have been smashed, sinks ripped out. Plumbing ripped out of the walls. Everything destroyed. It's quite common. And so when he hears, get a dumpster, clean all the trash out of this house, he's thinking that. Oh, was he in for a surprise. He gets to this house, and it's full. It's not full of trash. It's full of brand new stuff. Brand new furniture. Racks and racks of brand new clothes that still have the tags on them. And the people who lived there have fled the country, leaving a trail of debt behind, and they have gone back to Iran where they came from. And they're looking at this house and it's like, we don't need a dumpster. We need a bunch of trucks to carry this stuff back to the church, store it, and maybe have a yard sale or something. So they're taking all this stuff, two rooms literally stacked up to the roof with all the stuff they collected from this house. But as they're sifting through the stuff, they found gold. They found gold jewelry, a lot of it. And they took it to the gold exchange or whatever, and they redeemed it for a thousand bucks just like that they now have a thousand dollars cash in their pocket plus all this merchandise which is probably worth a whole lot more than that but they had all the money they needed for the special meetings and for all the food and whatever they had to do and god took care of that but it's better let's give him a hand for that one it gets better and this one you might not be able to relate to because it's very personal for me how many of you like it when god does something just for you And you even try to share the testimony and everybody else looks at you like, whatever. But you know God did it for you. Well, I knew God had given me a message for the church down there from Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we did the definition on the word sin. It means to miss the mark. If you're an archer or a target shooter, it means to miss the bullseye. You might hit the target, that's still not good enough. you got to hit the bullseye. So whenever you miss the mark, that's what sin is in the Bible. And the mark, very obviously, is the glory of God. All have sinned, missed the mark, and fallen short of the glory of God. So I have this message burning inside of me, and you all know, I don't... Regularly do demonstrations and stuff. I don't try to just think up demonstrations. But once in a while, the Lord will give me a little something that might help demonstrate the point. So going down on the plane, I keep having this vision of a dartboard. You know one of these dartboards you throw the darts into? And I keep having this vision of a dartboard behind the pulpit and actually demonstrating what it is to throw a dart and miss the mark. So, going down in the plane, I, I hear very clearly the Holy Spirit speak to me. How many of you know sometimes what God tells you is very strange? It's very weird. And if you don't have faith, you're going to miss it. Well, I missed it. Because very clearly, God whispered to me, Don't worry, the church already has a dark board. How many churches have you ever seen with a dartboard behind the pulpit? Well if you'd come there last Saturday night you would have seen one right behind the pulpit and you would have thought, what kind of a weird place is this, they are playing darts during church? <laughs> well here's the story, I get off the plane and as soon as the folks pick us up my unbelief kicks in and I'm like, I've got to find a dartboard somewhere. And so I asked the brother, brother is there a toy store nearby? He's like, whoa, this guy's preaching in our convention? He wants a toy store? I said, look, I want to find a dartboard, you know, one of those things you throw darts at to use as a demonstration in my message. Now, mind you, they've just finished collecting all of this stuff from this house. They've filled two rooms up to the ceiling with everything you can imagine bicycles, uh, china cabinets, all kinds of merchandise. And he looks at me and he says, I don't think we need to go to the toy store. I think there's one at the church. One at the church. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I'm still curious. Um, Why do you have a dartboard at the church? And that's when they start telling me this whole story of cleaning out this house, finding gold, and... In the process, he remembered that somewhere in all of that stuff, there was a brand new dartboard still in the box with the shrink wrap on it. It hasn't even been opened, brand new. So we go to the church, and there as you open the door, literally it's sitting right against the wall, a brand new dartboard. Now, it doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but man, I started doing spiritual somersaults. I said, oh yes, God is here. God is on this one. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Your glory is going to show up here this weekend, and it did. And I want to tell you something. When you seek God, you're going to find Him. When you get serious with God, He's going to get serious with you. And you're not going to necessarily have angels come into your bedroom and sing to you. That might happen. But if you seek God, God is going to start showing up in very unusual ways in your life. And you're going to know that it's Him. And so, we had a, an amazing time down there. Lots more I could say about that, but i got to get into the Word today. My message is short, but I hope it's as powerful for you as it's been for me. Are you ready? Fasten your spiritual seatbelts. Matthew chapter 14, We're going to read from verse 22 to 33. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, and we looked at that a few months ago, It was such an amazing miracle that in John's account, it says they came to make a king out of Jesus. They said, this is the prophet. Let's make him king. And so Jesus, knowing that they were coming to make him a king, he puts all the disciples in a boat and he sends them away. Maybe they wanted to make him a king too. I don't know. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples. If you look it up in the original language, it's compel. He's not giving them an option. He made them get in the boat. Made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Notice very carefully, he's leaving them alone. I'll let that sink in. He's leaving them alone. Okay? After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there on the mountain alone. But the boat, already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I hope you get this picture. Jesus puts them all in the boat, sends them away. He goes up into a mountain to pray. And it's almost like as soon as he left them, trouble came. (laughs) And it's good to read this in all three Gospels. It's not found in Luke, but it's also found in Mark and John. Each one gives a little bit of a different flavor. But basically, they're out in the middle of the lake. John says they're three and a half miles out away from the shore. And they're being buffeted by wind and waves and this terrible storm. And Jesus has left them. And they're not really feeling a whole lot of faith right now. Are you with me? They're scared. They're scared. They're fearing this is it. We're going under. Forget about you know all this stuff we've been hearing from Jesus about a kingdom and whatnot. They forgot all that. How many of you know when you're in trouble you forget a lot of things? <laughs> Being a considerable distance from land, they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I don't know what it is, but there are just certain days and certain weeks, it seems the wind keeps blowing against you. I had one of those all week. All week, every day, something blowing against me, something bringing frustration, something bringing stress, something not going right. And finally, it was almost laughable. It's like, what's next? It happens. But if you read Mark's Gospel, there's a very important detail that he adds to this whole story. Remember, Jesus is alone on the mountain. What is He doing? Sleeping? He's praying. There in the middle of the storm, scared to death, but listen to what Mark adds. If you want to go there, it's Mark 6 and verse 48. Jesus is up on the mountain praying, and it says, He saw, say that with me, he saw. he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Huh. That sounds cruel. He's safe and sound up on the mountain. And these dudes are about to drown down in the middle of the lake, and he's up on the mountain looking at them. Mm, they're having a tough night. They're straining at the oars. He saw it. The Bible doesn't say what he was praying for, but based on the outcome of this whole thing, I think it was similar to what he told Peter. Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. He didn't rebuke the devil. I would if I was Peter, I would like for him to have said that. I've prayed for you, Peter. Don't worry, I rebuke the devil. He's not gonna mess with you. It's not what he said. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Something tells me it was that kind of a prayer going on up there on the mountain. Lord, help these guys. They're struggling. They're straining, but I left them alone because I want to train them. I want to teach them. Let me tell you something. Hebrews 3, 13, verse 5 is very clear. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. What's never mean? Never. I didn't hear you. Never. What's never mean? Never. In the original Greek, it's actually double never. I will never, no, not never. It's, it's very emphatic. Never will I leave you. But he left them. Didn't He? Not really. He withdrew. There are going to be times in our lives where God seems to be absent. But understand, He hasn't left you, He's just withdrawn a little bit. Because there's a process that He's taking you and me through. And we don't like it very much but it's for our good. He has to test us and He has to teach us things. And very often, He does that by withdrawing a bit and leaving us in situations not to destroy us, but to strengthen our spiritual muscle. So here He is on the mountain watching the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It gets even more interesting. He finally comes to them at the fourth watch of the night. Fourth watch of the night. We don't really know what that means, but if you study it, they divided up the night into watches. And the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's like the last Little quarter, the last shift of the night. So what? Well, if you're a good student of the Bible, you pay attention to details. Because their trial, when did it start? It started in the evening. (laughs) That means in the first watch is when they started having trouble. When did Jesus wait to come to them? in the fourth watch. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it's like, come on God, hurry up. This has been a long time. I know you see me down here, but can you please hurry up? It's been a long time and it's getting late in the game, Lord. He's not torturing you. He likes to wait until the last minute. I don't don't know fully why. It's to test our faith. It's to strengthen us. But He just likes to wait. And then, just at the right time, He comes. Going back to Matthew, same story. In verse 25 we read, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, and all of the Gospels are kind of casual about this, walking on the lake. You know, just a... An evening stroll for Jesus, walking on the lake. That's amazing enough, but it's the next few verses I want us to really focus on now. As Jesus is walking on the lake, look at the next verse. There's a lot of seeing going on here. Um, He saw them straining. When He comes, they see Him, but they really don't see Him. They see a ghost. They're so overwhelmed with fear, they can't even recognize Jesus. And let me read the whole verse again. When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They're already terrified about the storm. Now they're scared of Jesus. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You know, sometimes when we're in troubles, our our vision gets messed up. (laughs) We're not really seeing clearly. And Jesus might be right in the middle of the situation, and all we're seeing is a ghost. We can't recognize Him. We can't understand that God is in this thing. This is not an accident. God is allowing this to happen, and He's actually right in the middle of it, even though I can't recognize Him. He is here with me. He never left me. He never forsook me, but they're still seeing ghosts. And then in the next verse, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. A better translation would be, I am. Take courage, I am. It is I. I is it. I am is out here on the water, my friends. I am is here. Don't be afraid. How many like Peter? I love Peter. I love him. I see so much of myself in him. Not the good parts, but some of the bad parts. Look at the next one. Now, all the disciples are in this boat. Could have been anyone else. But as was often the case, here comes Peter first before anyone else with his big mouth. Lord! if it's you now have you thought about that did Peter know who this was walking on the lake I'm pretty sure he knew I mean you don't go saying that stuff to a ghost Lord if it's you Peter replied would you please get into the boat and stop this storm that's the way I would have prayed how about you I'm just thinking about safety right now. (laughs) We've been scared to death, rocking and rolling in this storm. Lord, can you get in the boat and calm this thing down? We know you can do that. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Where in the world did Peter get that idea? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to give you my own thoughts about it. That's all they are. You can take them or leave them. I don't think Peter was particularly trying to prove that he could walk on water. I think he loved the Lord. He just loved the Lord. And he wanted to be out there with Jesus. It's like, if Jesus can do that, I want to get out there and try it too. Now, when I first got saved, I was radically saved. God baptized me with the Holy Spirit. My whole life changed. And I've shared this with a few of you. I don't know if you've ever done it. You might be too proud to admit it, but I'm, I'll am i go ahead and humble myself here. Shortly after I got saved, I tried to walk on water in a swimming pool out in California. It didn't work. I sank right to the bottom. But I tried. At least I tried. And, you know, little by little, God began to speak to me. It's like, it doesn't quite work like that. We're, we're, we're going to need to... You know, we're going to have to take you through some heavy training here before we can even talk about those kind of things. But I tried it. I don't think that's what Peter was doing here. Lord, if it's you, tell me, listen carefully to the words, to come to you. This wasn't just about walking on water. I want to come to you. I want to come to you. Where you are, I want to be. And you know, there's a much bigger message in that. That's really what the whole New Testament is about. Where I am, there you will also be with me. Peter got it. I want to be with the Lord. I want to be doing what He's doing. Wherever He is, I want to be. If it's you, he wanted to make sure before he stepped out of the boat. I find it fascinating, and I never thought about this until yesterday, in 2 Peter 1, Peter himself writes at the end of his life, make sure of your calling and election, because if you do, you will never fall. Hear those words. Make sure of your calling. If you do, you'll never fall. What I take from this, Find out what God is saying to you, not what He's saying to John or Mary or Harry. Find out what God is calling you to do. You can walk on water if He tells you to. You can fly in the sky if He tells you to. You can do anything. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. So what does Jesus say? Peter, that's crazy. You don't even know what you're asking Next verse, come. Come. One word, come. Most of us would have analyzed, you know, the force of gravity and how deep is the water and, you know, do we have life preservers and all this stuff. We would have analyzed the whole situation. Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. And came toward Jesus. It's so easy to read these things in the Bible and just, you know, brush over it. You need to stop sometimes and just let it sink in. Peter got down out of the boat. It doesn't say that he asked anything else. He didn't say anything to any of the disciples. He just literally gets off the edge of the boat and starts walking. And he gets a bad rap for what happens next. But let's not forget, he's the only disciple that ever walked on water. Only disciple who ever walked on water. Pretty amazing. How badly do we want to get closer to Jesus? This is something the Holy Spirit's been challenging me with In recent days, how badly do we want a closer relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to step out of our little boat? Famous song by Casting Crowns that talks about stepping out of my comfort zone. We get so comfortable in our little boat, all safe and secure, but the key here is what is he saying? Lord, if it's you, speak. Tell me to come. We need to start praying like that. And get ready. Because he might just tell you to do something impossible. He might just tell you there's something you've never done before in your life, and every reason rises up why you shouldn't jump out of the boat. But, faith comes by? Help me. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of the Lord. Speak, Lord. If I hear you calling me, I know the faith is going to rise up in me to jump out of this boat. When God calls you to something, I don't care how impossible it is. I don't care how many voices around you are saying, never been done, can't do that, impossible, you don't have enough money, you need more education, you're not qualified, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If He's called you, you can do it. You can walk on water. Period. God has never and never will call anyone to something and not equip them to do it. He's not a torturing God. He doesn't tell you to do something and then let you sink to the bottom of the ocean. Now, you know I'm going to do this. Philippians 4.13 I can do a few things mostly through my own strength but with a little help from God. Is that how the verse reads? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I I don't know what God's getting us ready for. I feel He is getting us ready for some new stuff. And I think this message is just preparatory to help us to get ready. But I believe God is going to call some of us out of the boat. And we're going to find ourselves doing things we've never done before. We don't know how to do them. We don't have the qualifications to do them. We don't have the resources to do them. All we need to make sure of, is it you calling me? That's it. We go. We go. If God called you, you can do it. Period. A verse you often hear us quote, and I'm going to read it now from the Amplified, uh, Psalm 18.29, David says, For by you, Lord, I can run through a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. You can do anything. No, you can do anything. Stop limiting God. I'm preaching to myself too. Stop limiting God. Find out what it is he's calling you to do and just go do it. Go do it. Peter walked on water. Say it with me. Peter walked on water. Look, I teach science. I know enough about gravity to know that's impossible. It's impossible. But he walked on water. He walked on water. He was walking by faith initially. Later on, he started to walk by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's where we stumble and fall when we start looking around. He walked by faith. He leaped out of that boat by faith. And amazingly, the water held him up. God often calls people who are totally unqualified to accomplish impossible tasks. I'm going to repeat that one. That one's good. God often calls unqualified people to accomplish impossible tasks so that he gets all the glory. You can't boast and say, well, I know that's why God called me, because I'm an architect, or I'm a doctor, or I have all kinds of knowledge about this. No. He likes to call somebody totally disqualified. Let me give you a few examples. Noah called to build a 450-foot boat. How much skill, training, knowledge, qualifications did Noah have in shipbuilding? How much? None. None. Why? A. They didn't have any ocean. It had never rained before. They didn't have any ships. He didn't have, you know, one of these plastic models to go by. He'd never seen a ship before. Furthermore, he had no experience whatsoever in building anything because the Bible says he was a man of the soil. He was a farmer. What a strange thing for God to call a farmer to undertake such a massive building project that most people believe took over 100 years. 450 feet long, one-and-a-half football fields long, this boat was. Not to mention, he wasn't a zoologist either. He didn't, He wasn't well versed in the care of dinosaurs and, you know, monkeys and all these other animals that had to get on the boat. He had to know what to feed them, how to care for them for a year. Totally unqualified. But God called Noah, and he found favor in the eyes of God. Abraham was called to be a father of nations. Not just a family. Father of nations. Was he qualified? No. He and Sarah could not have children. Did God make a mistake? No. Not at all. God wanted to show His glory. He wanted to make The impossible possible. And let me tell you something. Whenever God turns the impossible into possible, that's where you're going to find glory. (laughs) That's why He chose Abraham. 100 years old. Past any possible hope of bearing children. And He keeps saying, Father of nations, Father of nations, Father of nations. Moses, after 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep, God tells him to build a sanctuary. Very elaborate tabernacle for God. Did Moses have any prior experience as a building contractor? Totally unqualified. How did he find the right people? God gave him wisdom. God brought the right people to work with the gold and the linens and the wood and all that. Nehemiah, remember him? God called him to rebuild Jerusalem. The whole city had been burned to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar when they raided Jerusalem. What was Nehemiah's expertise? Do you remember? He's a cup bearer. We would call him a butler. Your tea, sir. Your drink, sir. That's all he did. And he's now going to go back and rebuild walls and streets and put this whole city back together? Exactly. How about Peter himself? How qualified was he to start the church. Bible says they were uneducated. Uneducated. I mean, come on. At least you're going to choose somebody that's been to college and can read and write pretty well to start this thing called the church. But God seems to deliberately do just the opposite. He calls fishermen Uneducated people to start the glorious church. I can't understand it. I really don't. And you're not going to understand it. That's how God works. He often calls people who are totally unqualified to accomplish impossible tasks. All they need to hear is the call build me a tabernacle, go back and rebuild Jerusalem build an ark. Do this, that or the other. No questions asked. Just jump out of the boat and say, "Okay, here I am Lord, reporting for duty." In Daniel 11, if we can put this verse up in the King James, this is the way I memorized it, and I think it's a better translation. It reads basically the same in the amplified. Daniel 11:32. See if we can get it. Okay, the last part. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I like that. The people that do know their God... See, there are a couple of qualifications here. You do need to know God and be strong in Him can do... Exploits. Amplified says the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits for God. How many of you want to spend the rest of your life here on the earth just sort of getting by, not really accomplishing much, just paying your bills every month, staying out of trouble, you're not really making any difference. You're certainly not adding anything to the kingdom of God, but at least, you know, you're going to kind of be safe and, until you cross the finish line. How many, how many of you want to live your life like that? No one. No one. I want to make a difference. I want to do something. I'm seeking God in these days. Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? I want to do something more. Don't you? Amen. Or do you just want to warm up pew every Sunday? My job, as I understand my job description, is to prepare you to go out and do works of ministry. What are they? We better start praying together and find out what those projects, what those ministries are. But I have no doubt he's calling us to step out of our little boat, maybe on some waters that we never tread before. Never been here, never done this. I don't know anything about this. Coming back to our story in Matthew 14. We're almost done here. Verse 30, as quickly as Peter started to walk on water, he now starts to sink. (laughs) When he what? Notice how many times that word appears here. Jesus saw them. They saw Jesus as a ghost. When he saw the wind. When he first stepped out of the boat, what was he looking at? He was looking at Jesus. If it's you, call me to come to you. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was above the waves. But when he looked, When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, "Lord, save me!" So, what's Jesus say? Well, it serves you right, Peter. This was your this was your own idea, anyway, jumping out of the boat. This is crazy. I'm just going to let you drown here. That's what the devil tells us. You're finished. You know, I've tried many, many things in my Christian life. Some of them were great successes, some of them were great failures. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Some of them were successes, some of them were great failures. But I am not ashamed to stand before God and say, at least I tried. At least Peter tried. And we learn by our failures. We learn by our mistakes. Peter learned something that day. He never would have learned if he would stayed in the boat huddled there with the rest of the disciples. Sooner or later, we've got to step out. We've got to take some risks. We've got to take a leap of faith and let go When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, have any of you ever had trouble spelling the word doubt? Come on. How do you spell it, Morgan? Without looking. Loud. Ah That's right, hide her. Cover her eyes. D-O-U-T, right? Huh? What is that B doing in there? It's not doubt. (laughs) It's doubt. The English language is full of words like this. I think it's just to mess up kids in elementary school who are trying to learn how to spell. But this one's a weird one. But not really. And this will help you if you've ever had trouble. You'll never forget how to spell the word again. It comes actually from the word double. Where we do pronounce the B, double. D-O-U-B-L-E, double. And the real meaning of to doubt is to double. James, I think, hits the nail on the head in James 1, having a double mind. Part of me is looking at Jesus. Part of me is looking down at the waves. Part of me is looking at Jesus. Part of me is looking down at the wind. I'm doubling. And James says you'll be unstable in all your ways. We can't double. Don't be double minded. Don't be double hearted. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be single in your vision. Just keep staring at him. Don't look at all that's going on around you. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. <laughs> Thank God he catches us. Oh my, how many times he's caught me. Thank God he catches us. And he might have a little something to say once he's reeled you back in and gotten you into the boat. You have little faith. What was this whole exercise about? Peter's faith. And basically, if you read any one of the Gospels, and you study carefully Jesus' interactions with His disciples, basically His whole three and a half years of training was teaching them faith. Yes. Oh, you of little faith, where's your faith? Why did you doubt? That man has great faith. He's always talking about faith. And then finally he says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? In conclusion, Imagine you're Peter in the boat. What is God calling you to do? What is God saying to you? Make sure of it. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And whatever it is, it may sound crazy right now, maybe like young Joseph, it's a dream that will be fulfilled 17 years from now, but find out what it is. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. God has plans for you. Young people, God has plans for you. Find out what they are. Don't just go wandering through life, banging your head against this wall, banging into this wall. Oh, what am I here for? What am I doing? Find out what God's plan for your life is and do it. Something tells me His plans are a lot better than yours. Pastor Henry down in Naples, Florida, he preached a message a few years ago. Uh, He had a one-liner in his message that was so good, I stored it in my phone. He said, if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. You hear that? If you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. In other words, our puny little plans are a joke compared to what God wants to do with our life. If he says walk on water, jump out of the boat. If he says leap over a wall, jump. If he tells you do X, Y, or Z, go do it, because you can do it. I can do all things. I can do all things, all things. Do all things. All things through Christ. Who strengthens me? Let's stand. Lord, help us to listen for Your voice. Even in the midst of the storm and the wind and the waves, help us to listen for Your voice. And let us make sure of Your calling on our life. Let us listen very carefully to the things You're saying to me. Not what You're saying to Mary or Susie or Harry or Joe, but what You're saying to me. And God, give me the faith to step out into whatever it is You're calling me to, knowing that You will equip me, You will be there to to catch me, to hold me up, and You will be with me. I can do anything that you call me to do. And I pray that from this day on, I would not limit you, I would not doubt you, I would not analyze you, but I would trust you with my whole heart, leaning not on my own understanding. God bless this Word to each one of our hearts. Help us to be doers of your Word and not hearers only. Help us to know that You will never leave us nor forsake us. And even when we find ourselves in a trial, You've just withdrawn to teach us, to refine us, to strengthen us. We thank You for Your great love for each one of us. The price that was paid on Calvary for us should convince us that You would never do anything to harm us. You're only looking out for our good. All of Your plans for us, are for our good to give us a hope and a future. God, I pray for each and every one listening to this message, that they would achieve their full potential in You, they would achieve all of the things that You have pre-planned for them to do. That unbelief and fear and other voices would not interfere with hearing Your call to step out of the boat and to walk on the water. We give You praise and honor and glory in advance for great and marvelous things that You're going to be manifesting in these coming days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.